This episode of the Garage Bill Podcast was recorded live in the Law Fran Studios. The law offices of Fran Hosh, Palm Harbor, Florida. Go to lawfran.com or call 1-866-LAW-FRAN. The law offices of Fran Hosh, serving the Tampa Bay biker community for over 20 years. For the last five decades, the Arlen Ness Motorcycle Company has been designing, engineering, and manufacturing cutting-edge parts for your custom V-twin motorcycle. And in that time, they've produced some of the most mind-bending ground-up customs. Whether you're looking for that show-winning edge or more street performance, Arlen Ness has you covered. From big sucker intakes to our custom Ness MagnaFlow exhaust systems, go to ArlenNess.com today and use the discount code GARAGEBUILT10 and you'll save 10% on your order. The Arlen Ness Motorcycle Company, family owned since 1970. For 30 years, Badlands Modules has produced American quality lighting modules for American V-Twins and custom motorcycles. And for the last two decades, NAMS Custom Cycle Products has supplied builders and bikers with top-shelf wiring solutions for their projects, no matter the scope. Today, NAMS and Badlands proudly introduce premium LED lighting through Electric Lighting Company. Go to electriclighting.com and use the discount code SPEED2020 to receive free shipping on all orders over $100 in the continental United States and follow at Electric Lighting Co. on Instagram. You're a craftsman, so you'll spend a little extra on tools and equipment made in the USA from high-quality materials. Why should your workwear be any different? 1620 USA makes the best-fitting, highest-quality workwear available today, and they guarantee it for life. Go to 1620USA.com and use the discount code SPEEDMETAL to save 20% at checkout, and follow them on Instagram at 1620USA. Hello, and welcome back to the Helen Wheels Garage Build Podcast. This is episode 45 with... Tony Tucker from Tucker Speed in Ogden, Utah. Sat down and we talked about, uh, he's a family man and owns a business, and he is talking about all the different trials and tribulations and things that uh, business owners like ourselves incur on a regular basis, and he's doing some really great things. He's built some really awesome, one of my favorite bikes of the last uh, couple of years that I've seen is this Road King that he did with an FXR T fairing on it. And... Tony's uh, also does uh, he, he does race flat track, and uh, we talk a little bit about that, and uh, I guess uh, you know what it's like to fall down and hurt yourself this late in the game. Uh, don't forget to check out the CF Wheels of Steel show on Instagram. You can go to cfwheelsofsteel.com and get pre-show tickets that are going to save you two bucks a day. Tickets are going to be twelve dollars at the door, ten dollars if you buy them online. The Wheels of Steel show is going to be in December, the 5th and 6th in downtown Lakeland at the RP Funding Center. It's a fantastic indoor venue. Plenty of air conditioning, plenty of fun, plenty of fun family activities. And it's still a custom motorcycle show with over 15 of the nation's best builders. Lots of vendors, and it all is for a good cause. It benefits the Early Learning Coalition of Polk County. It serves over 12,000 families at over 300 sites. Make sure the kids get the early education that they need. We have partnered with Lakeland Regional Healthcare System and Bell Helmets to make sure that we can implement our Ride the Right Way initiative, teaching young kids how to ride the right way by fitting them with a bicycle helmet that fits properly, courtesy of Lakeland Regional Healthcare Systems, the first 100 kids that show up at the doors are going to be fitted for free helmet. And we thank Bell Helmets for providing us with our uh, auction helmets uh, for a good cause. And this is all presented by 
Geico. So go to cfwheelsofsteel.com. Find out all the information. If you want to be a sponsor, there's still vendor spots available. There's still plenty of corporate sponsorships available. It's for a good cause. Remember, anything you donate is 100% tax deductible. And also, I'd like to personally invite you to visit our sponsors. If you're looking to purchase parts from Ness, if you're looking for product from Fix Your Lid, if you're looking for clothing from 1620 USA, if you're looking for lighting products from NAMS, Electric, or Badlands, please go to our Instagram, Garage Built Podcast, and check out our discount codes. It's going to save you money, and they help produce this show on a regular basis. So without further ado, I will give you Mr. Tony Tucker from Tucker Speed in Ogden, Utah. We'll do it right. Yeah, he doesn't like doing that. <laughs> you know, and actually, that was the first one he had done through Skype. So, yeah, we were having some technical glitches. You know? Yeah, this is uh, Ultra Premium Tennessee Select Club. So, we'll bust this out and see if it's any good. I bought two of these bottles. I bought one. My buddy lives a couple miles away. So, oh, yeah. I did gift him with something for letting me stay at his house for the weekend. So, it smells good. So from Utah, huh? Yes. So if you've not done, if you've not done, I don't know if that's a full shot or not. I don't, if, Good enough. Yeah. And if you've not done a podcast, then you haven't experienced the, uh, you know, if you buy a real solo cup, did you know this, that if you buy a real solo cup, the first line is a shot, like each line oh, on really? a solo cup, like a solo brand. Shot. Yeah. So Cheers. Cheers. All right, right Tony Tony Tucker, right? Yes, sir. Cool. All right, so if you want to wear the, the earphones, you can. If you don't want to, you don't have to. Just uh, keep the microphone as close as you can, like about a fist away from your face. And if you want to sit back and relax, you can just pull these things wherever you want them to be. But so Yeah, it's time to get comfy. Yeah. I've been on my feet for three days. That's not bad. Give this a shot. Yeah, literally. So... So Tucker Speed, tell me about you're in Ogden, Utah. Where's that out? What's like? Uh, Ogden is 40, 50 miles north of Salt Lake. Okay, so we're we're you know northern Utah, 
And so that's Mormon country. It is. Okay. Are you Mormon? I am not. Uh, I, you know, I was, I was actually raised Mormon. Uh, some okay. of my family is, right. uh, but I don't practice it myself. Okay. Um, I mean, I've, but I'm familiar with the traditions, their and traditions stuff. and religion, you know, their, you know, everything they believe in or whatever. Sure. And, and I'll tell you, I've had some actually in some in, interesting interactions, uh, and all of them positive. The, the yeah. funniest thing that ever happened, um, uh, we went to, uh, there was a point in time in my life where I decided like, okay, I'm not going to drink anymore. I'm going to, you know, it, it was a very small period of time, but I had two kids and we were married and all that stuff. And we went to a Halloween party and I, it was during the time that I had abstained from alcohol use and uh, more to just to see if I could do it or not. Yeah. <laughs> and we were at this Halloween party and there was this couple there and we got along with them really well and we noticed they weren't drinking and we started talking and they said they were Mormons. So they had us come over. We, you know, we kind of like paired up. We were going to hang out, whatever. We went over to their house for dinner one night and everything was just kind of off a tick. And uh, the thing that struck me the most interesting was when we sat down with dinner, it was winter. It was this time of the year. So it was like fall. Right. And they had a pitcher, like this glass pitcher with lemonade in it. And I thought, that's okay. Lemonade in Michigan, lemonade is a summer drink, you know, mm -hmm. in the wintertime you drink cider. And, uh, so I, we go to, we go to dinner we have the whole dinner thing with them and that, and we go home and I was, South Park was on in the South Park episode. There's a Mormon episode. Oh yeah. And in that Mormon episode, they had a thing of lemonade in this glass pitcher. And I was like, what the <laughs> f is that? You know, so <laughs> it was, that was kind of like my introduction to that. And we ended up not operating in the same wavelength as, as that couple. So we never really hung out again, but yeah, it, it's a different culture. I mean, it's, it, it's different for most people growing up in Utah and being around it and having family that is in it. It's not, it's not strange to me. Sure. It's just normal. Right. But uh, the more I travel around the country and talk to people from other places, you know, there's lots of weird things that people think of, you know, Mormons. And it's funny to hear people's take on it. You know, people from the East Coast or whatever hear about or what they think a Mormon is or whatever, you know. Yeah, we the, what we know in the Midwest of, of LDS is the commercials that we see on Saturday mornings during the during the cartoons when we're kids, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, so, had a, they had a big push in the 80s. It was like, you know, the cha the Church of Latter-day Saints, and it was which was a Mormon sect, and, and so it was commercialized. Yeah. And, you know, for lack of a better term, it was commercialized. So mm -hmm. so how do you how do you fall into motorcycles? You, you do this full time, right? This is a family business, it's you a, and your yeah, wife. a family business. It's me and my wife. Um, you know, we, we've been open for almost six years now. Okay, so you're uh, past the, the five-year yeah, metric is, gotten, is, gotten, is a big, is a big deal. And I'd say it's a big deal for me because I honestly went, so when I opened up year one, it was actually uh, me and my two brothers. Okay. And over the past five years, I've actually had falling out with both of my brothers and they're on no a longer business, business, on level? business. Yeah. Well, and personal or one of them on a personal level, the other we're still, you know, he's no longer in, involved in the business, but we still talk But my other brother. We, we haven't talked in three years. Well, that's unfortunate. And, and that's a, you know, it's such a drastic change because me and him were honestly like, like best friends before. Was it a, it, was it a, a difference of opinion of direction a difference of opinion of, of business practices or? Uh, yeah, a little bit of all of it. So uh, he's my younger brother. He's an alpha male. 
okay. dominant, super dominant. And, you know, we, he, he, he hasn't, he doesn't work in the motorcycle industry. He doesn't, uh, you know, he's not into this industry at all, but we partnered up and, you know, he wanted to kind of call the shots and kind of run the show. And I kind of was like, no way. Like I, you know, in the past, like when it was, something else other than business related i would just be like yeah do your thing whatever we'll do it your way because sure. he would always he's like yeah we're doing it this way we're doing it that way and i'd be like whatever but then when it came to the shop it was like i'm the one who's been to school i'm the one who works in the industry has worked in the industry for 10 years i'm the one with the knowledge we're, we're building this business based on me and i get to call the shots and, and it was just always button heads this is an impossible business to run from afar this is an impossible business to mandate how somebody conducts themselves if they're not in the throes of it on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Because you give up so much of what people don't realize to get into the motorcycle industry is you give up so much of what is a commonality from every other job. I mean, literally every nine to five job on the planet has certain characteristics to it. You're always beholden to somebody else. You've got a schedule, you've got a time mm -hmm. clock. You've got, and if you work in a dealership, it's very much the same. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you pull that pin and throw that grenade and open your own business, mm -hmm. you are responsible for everything that happens. And this is not a commodity that's a pass-through. Right. I mean, uh, I don't know about your shop, but there's a significant percentage of parts that I sell that I'm installing. So I'm, the, I'm a user. Right, I'm I'm using that part. I'm I'm actually functionally making that part operate, making it fit when it doesn't fit right. Mm -hmm. And it's not always the manufacturer of the parts. Sometimes the bike is wonky. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a group of things. So if somebody's going to try to come in and tell you how to do accounting, accounting is the same if you have a pencil factory, you have a motorcycle shop. Sure. But on a day to day basis, customer right. interaction. I mean, a lot of the decisions that you make in a bike shop are based off of customer interaction. Yeah. That that specific customer and their specific bike. I mean, there's no two, you know, Harley Davidson motorcycles out there that are alike. Right. So then it comes time to install this, you know, brand X part on this guy's bike. And if you don't know if it's going to, it just because it's a Dyna doesn't mean it's going to fit because who knows what other parts he's already put on it. Yeah. And, and you know, it so it makes everything you do every day, you know, you either know or you don't, you know, and so it's hard to run it. You can't run this business from, you got to be there. Yeah, you've got to be front line all the right. time, right? And and that's why the more experience in this is better because of how many different things there are out there. I mean, that's the cool thing about this industry is that the, the vast, major, you know, the vast aftermarket world, all these different parts that we can put on these bikes, but then does this part jive with this part? And yeah. some do and some don't. And you don't know that until you figure it out. Yeah, some aesthetically work fantastic, but don't mechanically fit the way you mm -hmm. need them to fit. And there's also a, a venerability across product lines where you can make a part that's for a Sportster fit a different model, make a part that fits a Dyna fit a different. A lot of people, we see it now. I mean, you've got a performance bagger that you built that's got an FXR fairing on it. Mm -hmm. It's got no bags. It's got the triangulated air, you know, you know, basically it's a road king or a, or a dresser frame for all mm -hmm. intents and purposes in probably mid 2000s. So it's yep. not even, it's pre 09. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have the bolt on carriage. Yep. So you've adapted all these parts and because you've done such a good job of that, that bike works 
and mm -hmm. it fits mm -hmm. and the finish on it is fantastic and so that's a good example of what you're explaining where just because it says it fits doesn't mean it does and just because it says it fits something else doesn't mean it won't right yeah i mean there's tons of parts in the, in the catalogs and stuff that say it fits this year range but i know for a fact that i can make it fit on this this and this bike right but you know only I know that if you walk into my shop, you know, I know that, but you, you know, you're not going to know that shopping for it online or no. doing whatever. So that's a good point. So can we, t let's, let's start right there. Then. Yeah. Let's start with the online mm -hmm. presence because there's guys out there that are doing a fantastic job of doing online sales. Guys mm -hmm. like John Jessup from dream rides in mm -hmm. Stockton, California does a fantastic he does a good job. I mean, on a consumer level, he does. He takes care of his customers. Sure. He's not selling you something that you don't want or you don't need. Sure. Right? He's not just putting whatever on his website so that you can buy it. But then there's guys who come into your shop. Do you have the guy that comes in and says, well, I can find it on Amazon for this, or I can find it on JP Cycles for this, or mm -hmm. I can, you know, how do you, how do you navigate those waters in your shop at Tucker Speed? I mean, you know, in the, in the past, I've, I've been... I've always hated online because I mean, for that very reason, I can find it on Amazon or JMP or Revzilla or whoever for cheaper. Uh, Do you hate it because uh, it's not a way? It's not how you consume things. Are you one of these guys of that's visual and tactile, and you want to put it in your hand and you want to feel it and you want to, yeah, you know, you want to absorb some energy from that part? I mean, not to get all like you know, weird and 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 hippie on you, but I want. I'm a hat in hand guy. Yeah, you know, a bird in the hands worth two in the bush to me. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's definitely, um, yeah, I, I think a part of it is that's the way I shop, is, right. is I like to have, I, I like to go in and I like to talk to someone who knows, talk to an expert and ask them, you know, should I buy this part or this part? Does this part work good or doesn't it? You know, so I want to have that advice. And so when I'm able to offer that advice, but someone thinks that they know better and they're going to just go buy it on Amazon, but they want me to install it that's where I start to have a problem, and, you know, and, and, you know, us as, you know, shop owners and installers know for a fact that this guy's going to go buy this part on Amazon or eBay or wherever, and he wants me to install it on his bike. It's not going to meet his expectation. And then he's going to pin the blame on me, the installer, not the brand. Yeah. And, and that's it, a common problem across all lines. Like that's a real, that's a, that's a real problem. I mean, it's, you are responsible, right? Legally, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in, you know, regardless of the indemnity that your business carries, if you bolt something on a motorcycle, you're putting your, you know, approval sure. to some degree. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how do you have that, you know, tell me about a situation where you've had a conversation with a customer in, a re in the recent times and, and, maybe tell me about a way that you were able to work through that and come to an amicable solution at, at the store level. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just plain and plain and simple. I, I think you got to be upfront with people and just tell them exactly, you know, Hey, you can buy this, this, this wheel on eBay for 300 bucks. Right. But don't bring it to me and think that it's going to be cheap to install it. Even though eBay says it will fit your bike, it's going to take, a bunch of work to make it fit. So the money you save, you're going to pay way more in labor to make it work. Or you just buy it from me. I'll sell you what fits directly on your bike and you'll, you know, be money ahead in the long run. Or, I, I mean, I've straight up told people, you buy that, I won't install it. 
Yeah. You know, cause I, cause I've ran into that in the past. You buy some cheap, you know, kind of Chinese knockoff part that, you know, when I get it and try to install it, it's, you know, a nightmare. It, it, yeah. You know, it's cheaply made and you know, the hardware's not right or whatever. And, and, you know, so I've, I've learned over time, certain things that you buy that I'm not going to touch it. Don't bring it to me to install it. You know, in the, in the early years, when I first opened, I probably, I would have taken it for just for, isn't you know, added- that an interesting thing that happens to, and it, you know, it's a rite of passage that we all have to sure. go through. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can almost, I mean, you know, I catch myself doing it. I caught myself doing it with it yesterday when I, or two nights ago and I was having a conversation with you and your wife. And I, you know, I find myself not trying to, and I, I tell people the way things work for me because I have made so many mistakes and learned from them. Mm -hmm. And I just want to try to insulate people from the same mistakes, but I realize that we learn from those mistakes. Sure. So handing out cheat codes is a slippery slope because I look at everything as a video game, right? Mm -hmm. And you level up in video games. And so at six years in, you've leveled up. You're at level six, right? Right. And so you've been exposed to things, and your level six is different from my level six. At six years in, I mean, we, we were still in the throes of the chopper boom, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty much. The economy had crashed, but everybody was still riding choppers, you know, by the time I was six years in. And now I'm 17 or 18 years in, and uh, it's very different, but very much the same. You know, and I watch guys that are, that are, doing these shops and, and you want to help them. You want to go, Hey man, like I've been through this, like this is some, you know, this is some ratchet ass shit that some people are doing, you know, and I didn't have the internet when, when we started, we didn't have to fight the internet. Mm-hmm. We were competing with other businesses locally. Right. You yeah. Know? And you're competing yeah. at Tucker speed. You're competing with everybody. Yeah. Other shops we got online. Online is hard to deal with. I mean, it's hard to compete against at times, you know, cause I think the, cons- the, the average consumer, like their number one priority is price. I don't understand that. I don't get it either. But I like to get a good deal. I'm as cheap yeah, as the day is long. Sure, don't get me wrong. But I, I do mean, all my research ahead of time. I don't want somebody trying to fuck my socks off, but I'll pay a fair price for what I want. Because right. by the time I go shopping, I don't know. Are you a good consumer? Do you consider yourself a good consumer? Probably not. I mean, well, I mean, I, I'll straight up go out, you know, and I'll pay... I'll, you know, whatever it is, the asking price, I'll pay it, you know, rather than, you know, haggle or, you know, try and, you know, negotiate a better price or whatever. Like if, if I feel like the product is worth it and you tell me it's a hundred bucks, I'll give you a hundred bucks. I might even give you 120 if it's a, you know, a situation where I'm going to be coming back to that guy and I want him to take care of me the next time. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, I like to develop that relationship. Sure. I really, really, it's like a tattoo artist. It's sure. You want yeah. to, you, you know, you're going to be, ha- you're going to have the tattoo for a long time. So you want that to be mm-hmm. quality. You want it to look right. You want it right. to be done correctly. Right. There's, there's lots of different people. I like having a guy that I can buy tires from, uh, for my truck. Yeah. You know, get a good deal on that. Mm-hmm. Get a good deal on my trailer tires. So I like to have a guy in, in all those different spaces. And I refer people to these people too. Right. You know, so where I'm not a good consumer, I'm a good referral guy. I'm a good customer. I'm yeah. not a good consumer. Yeah, right? I, I would. I'd say I'm in the same in the same boat. Like, because I know what it's like to be on the flip side. I know when guys come to me and I say, "Hey, you want to do this? It's this much money," and they give me a little bit of extra. I appreciate that guy, and I know the next time when I come in, I'm going to take a little extra care of that guy. And you know, I 
I hope that I get that in return when I go to my my tire guy or whatever it is. Right. So I hope I get that in return because I know what it's like on the, on the other side of the table. Sure. So, you know, you know, if I'm shopping around online for for whatever it is, you know, sure, I'll sh- I'll shop around for the right price. I look at the online. I look to see what is the price for this thing because mm-hmm. you'll see it. You know, something. Uh, you know, I was looking today. I'm going to buy some new microphones, and you know. I know what microphone I want. So I'm going to look and see what 10 places have it for. And why does this place have it for a few bucks more? Well, maybe they're offering some sort of a free shipping or, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's, there's different metrics in there, right? But the median price of what I'm looking for is going to be what it is. So I'm going to buy it from the place that I think I'm, I'm making the best purchase. And I'm hoping that my shop is the place that my customers want to make the best purchase, mm-hmm. right? So, and you're hoping Tucker Speed is where somebody's going to make that good purchase. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think it, it's, you know, offering some sort of additional value to your customer over the competitor and not always being just the best price is, you know, kind of what we're striving to be. One of the f- one things we're trying to expand in our business right now is uh, a web, you know, online sales. Sure. Um, I just figured, you know, on the, for the longest time, for the last 10, 15 years, I've hated online sales because I'm always feeling like I'm competing against them and losing, you know? So finally, I'm just like, well, I, I can sell all these same parts that everybody's buying online, so why am I not selling them online? So this year, we've launched our website, and we're gonna start selling parts online. And, uh, you know, I don't necessarily need to sell it for the cheapest price, but I'm hoping that what we can offer our customers is, a, you know, some sort of added value of like, how to install this. You know, this, this part, we've used this part, we've tested it we run it on our bikes we we there's so much value in that yeah you know and you know people buy into our brand and what we're riding and if we say we love this part they're gonna buy it from us even if it's a couple bucks more dude i did um a few years ago i did a couple series of videos and it was really just i don't know why i i decided to do it um but i'm glad that i did i did a series of videos on the adjustable primary chain tensioner Mm -hmm. for uh, a late model twin cam. I have probably sold a hundred primary chain adjusters for late model twin cams to people all over the country. Sure. I did the biggest success we ever had. Our biggest success story in that was we did a video series on fuel system maintenance. I'm not kidding you between California, Phoenix and Florida. I probably sell two systems a month, complete systems. I have a guy that just mailed us a system from Vegas. We rebuilt all the pieces and parts. We use the Trask fuel pressure regulator housing. Mm -hmm. New, you know, we do a new internal line. We do a new filter. And uh, not a lot of money in the the parts. It's really a pretty inexpensive. The most expensive thing is the Trask fuel pressure regulator housing. Mm -hmm. But I sell those to people. I've referred people over to shops. I'm like, you're in Phoenix. Like, there, I know for a fact, I can give you the name of four different shops in, in Phoenix area that could sell you these parts. And right. the people tell me on the phone, I want to buy it from you because you put the video out there. Yeah. It cost me $0.00 and 0 cents to put the video out there. And I did the videos three years ago, and they're still, they're still generating income for us. So those are the kinds of things where I try to tell people, like, look – you have a dentist that you go to all the time. 
you don't change dentists all the time. Why, you know, I'm your motorcycle mechanic. Why wouldn't you trust me? And guys bring me shit all the time that they bought online. I'm like, these are horrible. Why didn't you at least ask? Right. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, it, it, it's tough. I mean, and hopefully that's the direction we're trying to move towards is, is to create some value that we can give to customers and they'll buy from us. I think, you know, 90% of people out there, they, they don't want to get in their car, get on their bike and drive down to their local shop and say, hey, what do I need to do on my bike? You know, they're, they're going to come across some YouTube video. And because of that, they want to buy it now from you. Right. You know, they deem you the expert on you know, on fuel systems and they want to buy it from you. And that's the value you gave them that information. Now, when they think fuel system, they think your name. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that can be huge now. That's just the way the world works now. Uh, you know, I think, you know, I, I, I live, you know, where we're at in Ogden, it's such a small population, a small town that like running just my shop, my brick and mortar, I can only grow so big. There's only so many people where I live and it's very small. So like, how am I ever going to expand that? Like the only way to expand that is to grow online. How, how many work orders, uh, do you, do you have, how many techs do you have? Uh, myself. And then I got two guys, two full-time guys. Okay. And how many, how many work orders are you guys closing a week? Would you say? Um, depending on the time of year, because we are super seasonal where we're at. Right. I'd say peak season, like between May and August, I'd say we're closing easily 30 to 40 work orders a week. That's very good. Um, That's very know, strong. I make a, we make a, we, we really have done, I mean, and I'm super proud to say, you know, like during the writing season, I do very well from like, april through october i do really well but then all of a sudden it just comes to a screeching halt from november through february so how do you as a as an entrepreneur and a business owner and a husband and a father and an employer how do you find um what is your muse for coming up with a a new solution to these problems because obviously it's it's not a good place to be not having fresh business right Mm -hmm. So where, where do you look at for the additional stuff? I mean, you've talked about you want to grow your online presence. Mm-hmm. That's, not a, that's not a switch you can flip on. No, that's not going to happen overnight. You know, that's something that hopefully in five years will add to the solution, you know. Right. So, yeah, that's something we're working on now. But, you know, but, you know we're five, six years into this. And in the past, all I've done is I've made tons of money during the summer. So I just stockpile cash and set it, you know, set it aside in a little side pot so that, you know, come December, if we have a slow month and I I still need to pay my guys, I got a little bit of cash to pull from, you know, it gets super tempting to have a, you know, pile of cash sitting in in an account and I just, you know, oh, there's a cool part or a bike I want to build or whatever to spend it. But I know that there's, I, I know my guy's livelihood depends on that money. Yeah, it's a it's a it's an odd place to be that a lot of people don't understand. Even your employees sometimes, not yours, but just in general, mm-hmm. that the responsibility that you have. Yeah, you know, I tried to explain that. To, I had a friend that was arguing back and forth with me about the COVID thing, and I'm like, "This is a fucking money grab for somebody. Maybe not for me, but there are some people out there trying to manipulate 
what's going on. I, and I firmly believe that. I don't, I don't know where you stand on that, but this is a guy that is very, very, very left. And he's like, that's not fair. And da, 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 da. And so we had a, we had a debate online. This is somebody that I know personally. And, and for whatever reason, it happened online. And I'm trying to explain to him, like, look, it's not just about me. Yeah. If I shut my doors, I have my mechanics that they're not making money. And they have children. And those children need clothing. Those children need food. Those children need care. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's, it's, I see the brevity of a situation from a much different place than somebody who goes to work every day, like we were talking about. Mm -hmm. They go to work every day and they're a consumer. These guys, they put in their nine to five. They know how much they're bringing home every two weeks. They know if they get sick, how much it's going to cost for a copay. But I mean, your wife works with you, does she not? Yeah. Okay. So, the entire Tucker family is, yeah, it's is, 100% it's, dependent on what, what, what Tucker do. Speed does. Yeah, 100%. And, and my wife left a six-figure job to come work at the shop to, to help grow our brand, which was a huge income hit for us personally. You know, we had to give up a lot to... She probably had insurance. Yeah. We're now paying because, I mean, we yeah, insurance was a big thing. We, we were all covered under her insurance plan, under her employer. And when she left, when we decided to make that leap and say, hey, we're gonna commit to this fully, we're gonna try and invest into ourselves. It was a huge financial hit, not only in a pay cut, but now we're paying insurance out of pocket just to invest and into ourselves. And you have two kids, right? Four. Four kids. Four kids. <laughs> yeah. What so, are their ages? Uh, my oldest is 21. I have a tw We actually have a 21 and a 19 year old. God, you don't look like you're 21. I don't think I'm 21. If I was, if I had to guess how old you are, I would say so you're yeah, probably here, 30, here, 31. Yeah, here's the story. So uh, my oldest is 21, and it's from a previous marriage. Okay. Uh, me and my girlfriend got pregnant in high school. Uh, we got married, had a baby, and got divorced a year later. My wife, Tori, she did the same thing. She got pregnant in the high school. She got married. A year later, she got divorced. That's when we met. So I was 20 and she was 19 years old and we met. We both had a divorce and a child under our belt at 20 and 19 years old. That's a lot to, uh, that's uh, a lot to navigate. So, you know, we struck it off first because there were no other 20 or 19 year olds with a divorce and a baby. Sure. So we had that Especially in Especially in Ogden, Utah, yeah, yeah, where you've already right. established it's a pretty small. What's the population overall there? Uh, you know, I, Do you have a million? No, no, no. Okay. I, I would say 500,000 at the most. Okay. So yeah, pretty small. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, so we, we meet, uh, you know, we had that in common, which was great. We date, we get married, but having ex spouses and other, you know, stepchildren, it, it gave us every reason to not succeed in a relationship. Like every sure. possibility, everything we could have argued about, we had thrown at us. But we made it, you know, and honestly, you know, what made it, what made us is, you know, in 2004, I decided to move to Phoenix to go to MMI because I decided this, this industry is what I wanted to do. So why, we picked up, moved to Phoenix, went to MMI. She went with me and it was just me and her and, and her son or my, our son. I, I consider him my son. I mean, he was six months old Fantastic. when we met, you know, and uh, it was the three of us, my daughter from a previous stayed home with her mom, but. That, that's what, 
it taught me and her to figure out how to deal with our shit. Takes pressure to make diamonds, buddy. Yeah, for sure. So you, that's that's so what turned does it your, around. Does your son have dealings with his biological father? Not much, not much. You know, he. So your dad. He, he, I'm dad. I've raised him, and, and I, you know, I love him like a son. I, you know, he's my stepson, but I love him as much as I love my other three girls. That's amazing. So and, my dad that that I was in business with. Uh, that was the situation. He adopted me okay. when I was four, mm-hmm. but I and I and I got he I, he became my dad when I was six months. So it's very sure. Yeah. And I can, same thing. And uh, I so I appreciate that. Thank you very much for doing that because yeah. as as somebody that you know, I always tell people like I feel like to to some degree I was given my father actually signed. My mother was married to my biological father. I I mean for all in in of all the other siblings that I have. I'm the only one that can say that, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like I'm not a bastard child, not that that's a big deal, but I mean, my parents were married and I was born and he gave me away. And so that's something that I always carry with me is kind of like this scarlet letter, like like somehow I'm some uh, worthless human being because a man that brought me into this world and I had his name gave me away. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a tough, that's a tough thing. That's got to be hard. Yeah. My dad stepped in and took care of me and always treated me to the day he died. Like, you know, you know, yeah. it, it was, it's not getting, I'm not trying to go somewhere dark because it's not. Uh, I had a wonderful childhood. I had a great life. My dad's, you know, was an amazing man. And I got to see him like hours before he died. And he told me he loved me. And a lot of guys don't get that. Mm-hmm. And I got to work with my dad for 15 years, yeah. you know, in the motorcycle industry. And I wouldn't be in a motorcycles if not for my dad. So I appreciate that. But I, you know, from from being a son of, of somebody like yourself, I can tell you that, you know, he's watching what you do and he's emulating you. And as, you know, as much shit as he puts you through, he loves sure. you too. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> you know, he's he's 19 uh, almost 20 now, you know, and he's a good kid, you know, he's enrolled in, in college now and he's, you know, getting that part of his life going and he's on the right path. And, you know, he's, he's a good kid and I, you know, I love him to death, you know, and, and I hope that, you know, all I've ever wanted for him is, is the best, you sure. know, and, and that's just the way I view, you know, cause I, my, our two youngest kids are, are mine and Tori's together. And, you know, that's all I want for any of them is, you know, to teach them how to be good adults. Because that's what we're raising. I said that. I never talk to my kids like babies. I'm like, yeah. I'm not raising kids. I'm raising adults. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you we're, know? We're, we're here to teach you how to, at some point, leave the nest and yeah. succeed. You and know? be a functional adult and yeah. a, con- you know, a contributing member of society. Yeah. Right. Right. That's good. I mean, we're on a motorcycle podcast, but we're talking about something that's probably the most important thing you've ever done sure. is be somebody's be, dad. Be a parent, yeah. Right? And then the second most important thing is be somebody's husband. Mm-hmm. And your wife obviously believes in you incredibly and believes in Tucker Speed because she, she left. She must, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, my wife, too. I mean, we've, you know, we put our wives through uh, an exceptional amount of ridiculousness because deep down inside i think all of us guys that are in this business are perpetual 16 year olds sure we're walking around in older shells now that are a little more wore out a little more broken a little more weathered but we have this precociousness about us and this drive and this ambition to do something that let's face it people that aren't in our industry they think we're all rock stars they think we're all rich we think that th- they think that this is all we do is just kind of party and hang out and, mm-hmm. and mo- everything's motorcycle 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 
but you can tell, I mean, obviously you can, you can profess or, you know, that a, a financial problem at home is the same for you as it is for the guy that punches a nine to five clock. And the difference is, is that we've potentially ruined our hobby by making it our, our profession. Definitely. For sure. I mean, uh, my youngest brother who was, uh, he left, uh, the business about a year ago. That was just it. He wasn't in the industry before. And all of a sudden he found himself hating what he loved. He hated motorcycles because he was working on them all day, every day and dealing with the grind. And it just, it got to the point where he didn't want to do it anymore. It got to him, you know, I've been in the industry now since 2004 right. and it hasn't gotten to me yet. And I don't it think won't. it's going to, I can't, I, I don't see myself. At, I mean, I, I'm, I turned 40 this year. I don't think I'm going anywhere. You know, I can't, what am I going to do? Go what are you going to go do? Uh, yeah. What You're going to go work for somebody else? No. I talked to Jace about this. I'm like, you're not going to go punch a clock. Jace tried it. He went to Misfit, lasted three days. Yeah. You know, and I talked with Chris Moose yesterday. We podcasted and, you know, it was, Jace is not employable. I am not employable. Right. You are not I, employable. At this point, I'm no longer. I mean, I, and I, I'll tell you that for sure because, uh, you know, I worked at uh, I, I worked at my local Harley dealership for for seven eight years. Um, decided I was going to branch out and do my own thing, but in the meantime, I took a, a job in a factory. Oh, um, you know, to kind of make sure I had a, a steady income while I get the ball rolling on my on my shop. I hated it. Do you know, I, I think miserable. that's probably one of the best and worst things that somebody could ever do when they want to try to start a business is to try to create an income stream somewhere else that has nothing to do with it. I think it provides some weird kind of comfort food that is unhealthy mentally. Mm -hmm. And I would tell somebody that I love entrepreneurs and I love sitting down with entrepreneurs. That's what this podcast is about right. because everybody that I get to interview in the motors, the guy who's the parts guy at the Harley dealer is no less passionate about motorcycles than you or I, mm -hmm. but he doesn't have the story to tell that we do. Right. Right. So when I get, people talking to me about my podcast and what I try to do is to peel back those layers and expose just how difficult this business is while still accentuating how fucking amazing our lives are. Sure. Yeah. You know, do you have customers? Here's something that happens to me quite frequently. Is I have customers that go, Hey, how come you never ride with us? You never go out riding. Oh, I, I have that on a, weekly basis and your answer is my answer is you know when i am done i mean i work six days a week if not seven and on a saturday afternoon when i clock out and i'm done like i'm ready to go home which is normally eight nine o'clock on saturday i'm just ready to go home and chill out with my wife and my kids and take it easy and i don't even want to look at a motorcycle anymore right uh, so you know, I just, you know, as much as I love motorcycles, I need to detach for at least 24 hours. And so your Sunday is your only day, right? Mm -hmm. That's family day. How old are your younger kids? Uh, 13 and nine. Great ages. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're, especially the nine year old. Oh, God, yeah. I wish I could grab my, I, I, you know, I'm, I, my daughters are 25 and 21 and I would give everything away if I could have them for a day at 10 and six. Yeah. You know, the four year part yeah. where they come up and they still love you and mm -hmm. they still want to hold you and they want you to hold them and stuff. And I can, can you remember, I'm like, you've got a nine year old, so you still get hugs. 
uh, I don't get hugs much. You know, my yeah. kids are like, yeah, get away from me. But that feeling of when, how hard a child that you, that cares about you hugs you back and you know, that whole thing. And again, we're a motorcycle podcast. We're, we're talking about real things that actually happen. And, you know, you put your family in such a undeterminable outcome when you start a business. Yeah, and I, I think mean, we put ourselves in a far more undeterminable outcome by picking motorcycles because they're not, uh, it's not a must have, it's sure. a want, it's, yeah. it's a need. It's yeah. not a need, it's a want. Yeah, it's a huge risk for us. And I that, you know, it's a responsibility that I carry every day. I mean, I'm chasing a dream at the risk of my wife and my kids. You know, if, if, if everything went south, I mean, if the economy crashed or whatever, and people quit spending money on their, they, I mean, they got to spend money on the must haves and not the wants. So we've I'm leveraged, cut. we've ledged, leveraged our family's future so that we can be fulfilled. Right. Yeah. What is, what, is, what do you, what is your dream? Tell me what your dream is. Like, tell me, like, be honest. Like, I mean, like, I, I want to know, like, what do you want Tucker Speed to be as far as a legacy brand? Like, where where do you want to take this? Not where you see it going. Sure. I mean, I'm talking about, like, when you sit down and, and Tori, you know, at the end of the day, and you and Tori, have, you know, you're both kind of relaxed, and she's hopefully taking a bath with lavender and chamomile, and she's everybody's kind of relaxed, mm -hmm. and you guys are talking, and no one else gets to hear what you guys are talking about. And you confide in her. What is your dream? Like, what does Tucker Speed look like? I don't think I'm asking a lot. I mean, I think I want, I want a little bit of security and knowing that my family's taken care of. But I want to be able to do what I, I, I want to fulfill my passion. Just being able to work in this industry. I don't need to be filthy rich. I want to be able to provide and and, you know, give nice things to my kids. But I, you know, I just want, you know. And also the other thing too, like the, the name, the reason I use my last name and the name of the business is that, you know, I carry on, I'm very proud of my family legacy and I, you know, I want to do my family proud. So I want to do a good job and, you know, I want people to look at my brand and my company and my business and, and think that it's a quality family owned business. And, uh, but at the end of the day, I just want, I want to be able to continue to come and do these things, you know, come out to these shows and, and hang out with, with, you know, like-minded people, people that are as passionate about motorcycles as I am. That's what, you know, more than anything, I love coming to these shows because I'm surrounded by people who love everything two wheels as much as I do. And sometimes on a daily basis at the shop, you don't, you don't get that, you know, there's just not people that are passionate about this industry like I am all day, every day. And so when I come here, it reminds me that I'm not on an island. I'm not alone in this, you know, I'm, this is okay. I, it's okay to love motorcycles this much. Cause sometimes at, at home, I feel like, you know, why am I doing that? Why am I chasing something that I shouldn't be chasing at the risk of my family, you know, and, and coming here talking to guys like you and, and all these other builders out here at the show and everything like, it reminds me that it's okay to be passionate and chase the dream, you know? So that's, that's kind of, you know, where, where I'm at. 
if you had an opportunity to uh, create a time capsule, and in that time capsule was a statement, like mm-hmm. a mission statement, mm-hmm. and your kids were going to open this mission statement long after you were for, not forgotten, but long after you were you were done doing what you do, and you weren't there to you weren't there to unpack that for them and explain what you meant. What would what would you tell your kids about about Tucker Speed? Um. I, I think I've thought about this a lot. And I think that for my kids, I want them to grow up. I want them to grow up and I want them to chase their dreams. I don't want the, I don't want them to fall into this, you know, you got to go get some factory job and with an insurance, you know, good insurance and benefits and vacation package and be miserable. Like do what you love and be happy, you know, going and working for some corporate company and climbing the corporate ladder isn't going to make you happy in the long run. Like chase your dreams, follow your passions, do what you love and you'll be happy in the long run. And, and hopefully that's what I believe. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Right. And I, you know, in general, I'm super happy with where I'm at and what I'm doing. I'm chasing what I love. It's a grind sometimes, but I still love it. And I'm happy and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Uh, and I want, th- that's what I want for my kids. I, I don't care what, if it's not motorcycles, I don't care. I don't care what it is, but if it makes you happy, that's what you should do. And you go chase it around the world. What, what, tell me something. Uh, what does Tori not know about um, the way you feel about things or the things that you're afraid of or uh, you're concerned with that, that not, not specific things, but I mean, in general, like generalize what do you want her to know that she, you think maybe she doesn't know about? I mean, she works with you on a daily basis, right? So she sees you get pissed when a bill comes in and it's higher than you thought. She sees you get pissed when a bike comes back in the service department. Not that this happens, but, you know, a bike that you didn't put, you didn't put a wrench to. Mm-hmm. One of your texts did. And everybody makes, you know, micro errors and mm-hmm. things happen. It happens at my shop. It happens at your shop. What does Tori, what do you not have the, the economy of words for? Because uh, I find that, uh, like, I'll feel emotional about something and I want to tell somebody something, and then when I get face-to-face with them, I don't have the, the ability to kind of actually articulate it, right? But you want to put it into a box and let them, like a, like a music box, like a little girl always has a music box with a ballerina, right? She mm-hmm. winds it up, and she opens the box, and the music starts playing. Then when she closes the box, the music stops. So if Tori, if you could give Tori a box, and in that box, when she opened it, she'd hear you say something about working with her, what would that be? Um, if it, I, I feel like I tell her, but maybe I don't. Uh, you know, I think sometimes she wonders, like, do I, do I care about her as much as I do the, our, our shop? Because I pour everything I have into our shop. I mean, it, it's on my mind. 24 hours a day, every day, all week long. You know what I mean? I guess, you know, I just want her to know that I appreciate her. I mean, her supporting me. I mean, I'm super lucky to have, to be married to somebody that's, that moved out of state to follow me to go to school and, you know, quit her job to buy into this dream of mine. Like how lucky am I to have somebody behind me supporting me, you know, pushing me to do what I want to do. I mean, 
I was in Stur- we were in Sturgis this year, you know, and I raced my flat track bike, my hooligan bike, and I broke right. my shoulder. And uh, my dad kind of came down on me telling me, you know, it's probably time to hang up the racing boots and I should just give it up because I just, I shouldn't be doing it anymore. I'm too old. I need, you know, just be done. And Tori was the first one to say, it's what you love to do. It's your passion. It makes you happy. Don't quit. Like, don't quit now. Like you, you love it. It, it makes you, it makes you happy. And I have someone behind me pushing me to continue to do what makes me happy and how lucky am I? And, you know, and I could never repay her for that. I could never repay her for the years of support that she's given me. So when you find like you're you're in kind of a unique space that I'm in too, where we've we've passed the threshold of that two decades, right? Mm -hmm. We talked about that seven year itch, right? right. And it was there, the seven year itch was there. I was like, you know, and so what I find is the, the value of that relationship becomes a more of who I am the more time that gets put into it, right? Mm-hmm. And the micro problems become, we we develop skills in how to navigate the waters with them. Like we know our spouses, we can go right up and push the button that makes them the angriest. Oh yeah. We can go up and push the button that makes <laughs> yeah. them the happiest. Yeah. We know where the line is of where we've gone over, like we're telling too dirty of a joke, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's some, some, there's something that I can't explain to people that haven't put that time into a relationship. Like I, you know, I have friends that have never been married and, and I don't begrudge them for this, but I, it's like, look, you're not putting time into, you know, they're like, oh, you shouldn't listen to this. They shouldn't say this. And they, they're trying to give me advice on, on, on something you know nothing about. It's like giving me advice on neurosurgery. It's like, look, you weren't, you know, maybe you were married and you didn't put the time in, you know, I'm sorry that it didn't work out for you. I like being married. I, as much as I dislike being told what to do in certain situations or getting corrected for telling too dirty right. of a joke, right? But you are in a unique space where you have somebody who champions what you want to do. Right. What is... How far, how far are we going to take Tucker Speed to... What is... Take me down. You've, you've got six years in. So at 10 years, what are your goals? What are your goals at 10 years? What do you, I want to have this. I'd like for this, the company be doing this, you know, it, in another four years, your son will be 25, mm-hmm. you know, the, the nine-year-old will be in their teens, you know, yeah. perfectly, you know, pl- positioned there. Your, your third will be somewhere in their upper teens. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, your stepdaughter will be what? 20 or still 20, uh, 26. Yeah. Right. So. What does Tucker Speed look like at 10 years? You know, I think uh, I, I think I'm still trying to figure out where, you know, what my path looks like. You know, uh, am I just a repair shop in Ogden, Utah, where we just do service maintenance repairs? Uh, am I a custom bike builder? I would say, yeah. Uh, am I a hooligan racer? Um, right now you are. Am I? You got a, a bad shoulder, but. You're a hooligan racer. Some of the boys want me to go race here in, in like four weeks, and I'm like trying to get ready for it. So uh, I'm excited to go race again. It's still I still love racing, you right. know. Um, am I, uh, you know, I, I want to continue to push. I'm working on some deals. I'm trying to, you know, create some of our own parts. 
you know, right. some, you know, and, and some of our own clothes. Like right now we're selling a lot of our clothing, like hats and shirts and stuff, but I want to expand that, you know, apparel line. Sure. So, I mean, I got a lot of irons in the fire, you know, and it, it sometimes I wonder, do I have too many in the fire at one time? Do I need to just pull a couple and focus on this and that? But I, I think for me, I want it all. And I think that's great, but sometimes I feel like that holds me back from doing one really well. I'm trying to do five or six different things and just doing an okay job at each of them versus maybe dialing it back to one or two of those things and just trying to excel really well. You know, and, I, and so I battle back and forth like, you know, do I want to be a custom bike builder? Do I want to be a service repair shop? Do I want to be a parts manufacturer? Do I want to be a apparel guy? Do I want to be, you know, how many how many things do I want to be? But I, I mean, in all honesty, if you ask me right now, I want to be all of them. You said earlier that you're not on an island. Mm-hmm. But you are in Ogden, Utah. Mm-hmm. And for all intents and purposes, you're as physically far away from what's happening right now mm-hmm. as you, as one could be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't hear about a bike scene in Seattle. I don't hear about a bike scene in Portland. Mm-hmm. I hear about a bike scene somewhat in Colorado. Yeah. Right, so you occupy a part of the country that is very rich with fantastic roads, mm-hmm. amazing weather at certain parts of the year, uh, some fantastic human beings. Obviously, there's enough work to go around that where you're 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 making a living. But how do you how do you bring what you do to a larger a larger scale? Um, in in what I'm getting at is so. How is somebody from Florida going to know about Tony Tucker? How is somebody from California going to know about Tony Tucker and Tucker Speed? I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, You know, and honestly, I've brought on a a friend of mine, Jordan, who's doing a lot of my uh, marketing stuff, Uh, you know, and we're... That's the young man with the camera and the microphone. The camera, yep, long hair, camera dude. And uh, he's super smart with uh, social media and video editing and photography and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, he's helping me expand my brand, you know, online so that I can't, you know, so some some kid in Florida could stumble across our YouTube channel and see that, hey, we're building these. Because you have a unique brand of of bike, the way you conceptualize things like... Two year, I don't know if you know this or not, but two years ago when you debuted the bike with the FXR fairing, mm-hmm. it was in the corner. It was at the V Twin Visionary Show, I believe. Mm-hmm. It was the day you? Yep. It was. I don't think it was at the FXR show. You may have been there, but I don't think that bike was featured. In the it FXR was not. Show yeah, yet. right. Mm-hmm. So it was at the V Twin Visionary mm-hmm. Show, and it was a quiet storm. And me being, and I'm not trying to say anything about my toot my own horn, but I'm in that kind of that group of people that attend that show year after year after year after year after mm-hmm. year, right? And so there was a buzz about that bike. Mm-hmm. There were some people who were really on the fence, hardcore on the fence. Sure. There were some guys who were ardently opposed mm-hmm. to what you had done. I mean, it was almost blasphemous to them. Sure. And then there were some dudes that really saw the quality in it. Mm-hmm. And then nothing said. And I believe you got an honorable mention or some sort of an award that first year when you had it there. Mm-hmm. And then now you show up next this year in 19 and you're just kind of, you're part of the crowd. Like everybody expected you to be there. Sure. You set up and you yeah. did that, right? But you've never been, 
one that you don't toot your own horn. I don't, I don't hear Tony Tucker talk about Tony Tucker or Tony sure. Tucker's bikes, but you have an audience. You have a commodity that's very unique, mm-hmm. and in a, in an area where there's not as much uniqueness as what there was a few years ago. I mean, it's I'm I have three FXRs in in my stable. Uh, I've been involved in you know Cody's bike, mm-hmm. who, who's won the FXR twice, mm-hmm. FXR show twice with. Uh, same bike, but completely redone. Uh, Boosted Brad and I have been friends forever. And so you come into the, the performance area, you've got your own brand performance way of doing things. Sure. So where does one stumble on that if they're not at the V2 Visionary Show? How do you, how do you bridge that? Well, I think that's a magical question. If we If we knew that, we'd all be doing it. You know, it's just a matter of, getting out there well i mean mean, like you failed what i'm saying is how are you going to do that like how what how do you view your brand like what are the optics of that like do you see yourself as a performance bike builder do you see yourself as a mechanic or do you see yourself as a bike shop owner that has you know this kind of other ancillary thing going on because be quite honest with you some people consider themselves mechanics and that's what they do you know yeah i think that's you know, internally, you know, if you're asking the deep questions right now, I think that's what I'm trying to figure out. Am I just a ordinary Harley mechanic or am, I, or am I a bike builder? Do I have what it takes to be, you know, a bike builder? What is a bike builder to you? Give me a definition because there's lots of definitions. Sure. There. Yeah. And, and I'm finding that out, but I guess I, you know, I, I, I put, you know, the term bike builder, you know, is on, on such a high pedestal, I think, that I haven't reached that. I haven't reached that level yet. I wouldn't consider myself a bike builder yet. I've built a couple of bikes. You know, my Road King got some attention, um, which is which is awesome. Um, but, you know, the skill set that I have today, I feel like I have a long ways to go. And on a personal side, you know, I'm learning new skill sets all the time that make me a better builder per se because you know the difference to me between a mechanic or a, an assembler and a builder is someone who just buys a bunch of parts and, and puts them together versus someone who's actually making something from scratch or whatever and and i want to push myself more into that builder's world where i'm building these pieces from scratch i'm not just buying a arlen s this and a alloy art that or anyone building the you know assembling these pieces i want to have pieces that are mine that i built and that's kind of where i put that on um you know and I, that's why i want to you know expand into the you know building my own parts market is i want to build a part and i want to put it on my bike build and then i want to take it around the country and show everybody and when they say hey i want to buy that part they're buying it for me I don't want to, you know, take. I don't want to assemble a bike, take it around the country, and then sell bike or sell parts for this brand, this brand, and this brand. I want one of those brands to at least be mine. That's where I'm pushing myself, and, and that's where I'm trying to grow right now is learning, learning some of that stuff now. What is your kryptonite? Everybody's got one. Uh, probably myself. No, I'm talking I about mean, on a motorcycle. Is there any one? What is the most challenging piece of a motorcycle to you? <sighs> Man, I wouldn't even say I have a Krypton. I mean, I, I'd say right now it's it's anything that, you know, if you brought a bike into me right now, if you brought in, a, a you know, any sort of Harley-Davidson, 
whatever it is, you brought it in and it had a problem, I could fix it no matter what, whether it be engine related, electrical, anything, I, I could fix it. But if we look at it like from a, from a builder standpoint, mm -hmm. are you a sheet metal guy? Can you form sheet no, metal tanks? No, that, and that's just it. That's my kryptonite. Is can, you, the, can you build your own, own exhaust system? Are you a TIG I can, welder? I can TIG weld. I, I've, I've been teaching myself to TIG weld for the past four or five years, and I think I'm getting pretty good at it. Okay. Um, right now I'm learning, like, CNC design and coding. Okay. It, you know, it, and that's something I've been working on just this year, and it's very new and early to me still, but it's one of those things that I'm learning and I'm going to teach myself, and it's coming. Um, shaping sheet metal is one that I want to do, but I haven't started yet. But those are the kind of, you know, welding, shaping metal, being able to throw a part into a machine and mill out whatever it is, you know, those are the skills I'm teaching myself right now. And that's, that's where I feel like I'm going to transition myself from a Harley mechanic or technician assembler, if you will, into a builder is right. taking on these skills that I can now grab two pieces of metal, weld them together machine it shape it and do whatever i want to and it's now a unique one-off piece that i made myself and that's the skill set i'm i'm pushing myself into now and being a shop owner i can do that if i worked at a dealership i can't do that no you're right and i and i'm no 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 discredit or you know anything to it somebody who works at a dealership but they're working under some very specific boundaries mm -hmm. and limitations mm -hmm. they're limited to you know, 50 state legal performance modifications, sure. um, limitations on what the, the general manager wants sold in the parts department. You know, I think that, um, I think that being at a Harley dealer used to be something that was an extremely uh, worthwhile pursuit. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's gotten kind of away from that. And I think there's some good lessons in that, mm -hmm. but I do think that uh, ultimately what's going to drive our industry long enough for you and I to, to, to go into our twilight and um, still be involved in it because there's no, there's no exit strategy here. Right. You know, there's really not it, Tucker speed isn't Tucker speed without Tony Tucker right now. Yeah. Cycle stop USA isn't exactly what it is without me there. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm working on that, you know, yeah. I, my daughter's running it now with me and, I have good mechanics and those types of things, but uh, it's a very difficult space to occupy to try to make sure that when you leave, everything operates the same way as when you're there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's so difficult to do. I mean, probably nearly impossible. Without, very, without cloning yourself. You're very astute in saying that. So you have to pick a certain amount of things that you're willing to not be done to your to your exacting parameters mm -hmm. in order to make that happen. Yeah. It's a tough, tough place to occupy. It, it is. It's tough. It's a challenge every day and every, every step of the way to try and, you know, release a little bit of control into someone else's hands and be okay with it. Um, it's hard. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm away from my shop right now. I'm away from my shop for, you know, five, six days. My guys are still there running it. You know, I have faith in them. They're going to do a good job, but that doesn't mean that it's not hard for me. Right. Um, you know, they do a great job. I know they're handling it, but it's still in the back of my mind. Like, that's, you know, that's my business and my livelihood and my reputation. It requires an extremely amount 
an extreme amount of trust in the people you keep around you mm -hmm. and requires an extreme amount of trust in yourself to let things go long enough and to find out what kind of deficiencies are in your business because that's a great way to find out what deficiencies are in your business mm -hmm. is not be at your business for a minute and see how things go. Right. Yeah. So, so and it's great. I mean, it, it, you know, it, you know, we'll learn something from me being gone this weekend and then we'll get better for it and we'll move <laughs> forward. Yeah. You know, if that means that they did a great job and everything's great. Awesome. If that means they sucked and you know, they get fired and we find a new guy, it could be either way. You know what I mean? <laughs> Not saying that that's the case. My guys are good. They're doing a yeah. good job. I know they are. But, uh, you know, you're you're not going to learn those things unless you try. You know, you got to test it out. You got to figure it out. Right. And so you got to take that leap. You got to drag those waters. Yep. Tony Tucker, we have to go up front so you can get some sort of an award uh, from yeah. Jeff G. Holt. Yeah, I'm sure I'm going to win something. I appreciate you doing this with no, me. No, thank this you. This is really, yeah, it's I been a very good it. podcast. And yeah. where, where can everybody find you at online? Uh, you can find us at tuckerspeed.com, um, on Instagram, uh, Tucker underspeed or sorry, Tucker underscore speed. Okay. I always screw that up. <laughs> and then, uh, Facebook, uh, YouTube. Awesome. Um, check us out, follow us, uh, you know, so yeah. Well, we will be following you, watching your progress because right we're, we need, we need dudes like you. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. And thank you. You know, thank you for the opportunity to be on here. I appreciate it. You know, the industry needs guys like you spreading the word, getting guys like me out in front of people. So I appreciate what you're doing too. Well, thank you very much. Yep. You have been listening to the Power Wheels podcast with your host, Jason Holman. Thank you for listening. <laughs>